In the early spring of 2000, Lindley and I had just finished a college minister's conference. I was there with some other college ministers. Lindley was able to go with me. We had a great time. And one of the things that was talked about at the end of that conference was which college ministers would not be at that conference the next year. And I distinctly remember thinking of one or two that would not be there and me not being anywhere close to that list. Um, I, I really thought that of anybody that's there among the college ministers, I would be back there and was excited about being back there. Little did I know on the drive home from that conference that I would receive a phone call from the search team here at Southside. And uh, I didn't have a resume. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar. And if you'd asked me to list out a million things that I thought God's will for my life would be in the next six months, I promise you a million and one would not have been Southside Baptist Church. It just was not even on my radar. And little did I know, very shortly after that phone call, I would be here as the pastor at Southside 14 plus years later. Here I am standing here looking back on that moment and thinking, if someone had asked me in January of 2000, if I'd be the pastor in Abilene, Texas, Southside Baptist Church for 14 plus years, I'd have looked at them and said, you are crazy. And then they'd come to me in June of 2000 and they'd say, who's crazy now? You know what I mean? It was not at all on my, on my radar at all. And I think it's just interesting how God does his will for our lives sometimes. I mean, there's just things about God's will for our lives that we just, we have no idea about. We have no clue how it's going to happen. And everything we think it might be will not be what it's going to be. And we're not going to know what God's will for our lives is in some areas until God is ready to tell us. And honestly, through the years, I've found a lot of comfort in that. Because he can always be trusted. And his plan is always right. And his timing is always perfect. And he always tells us the things about his will that we need to know when we need to know them. There are things about his will we frankly do not need to know until he tells us, and that means we're not going to know. But there is so much about his will that he has already told us right here in his word that will help us so much as we walk forward in this whole thing of knowing God's will. I've discovered along the years that those areas that I just cannot know, do not know, will not know until he tells me, they, they come a lot easier in my life. I deal with it a lot better if I just focus on doing what I do know. Just, just to do what God has already told me and to try to do it more and more every day of my life. That's exactly Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians when he writes them and he gets to chapter 4 in his letter. You can find that in the Pew Bible on page 160. and We're just going to look in there together and read a little bit in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. But that's what Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians to do. He's encouraging them, hey, you already know how to walk and please God. We told you all about that. And you've really been doing that. But what we really want you to do is keep doing it even more. Keep doing what God has told you to do 
even more than you're doing it. Guess what? You're on this journey where what you know about what God wants you to do today needs to be lived out today with everything you are because tomorrow there may be something else that you discover or there may be some aspect of God that you come to understand and you need to walk with the Lord more and more every day, more than you did yesterday because that is God's will for your life. You see in chapter four, verse three, he says, God's will for you is your sanctification. You're on a journey, and tomorrow you need to be walking with the Lord a little bit better than you were yesterday because that is what the Lord wants for you, for you to enjoy knowing him right in the middle of where you are, how you live, who you are, right in the middle of all this imperfection and this brokenness. You get to know him because Jesus Christ died for you, and you're on a journey of knowing the Lord. Now do it more. And the next day, do it more. That's God's will for your life. You want to know about this and that and this other thing? Well, that's fine. You, you can want to know all of that, all you want to know it. But guess what? There's a whole lot of that you're not going to know until God's ready for you to know it. But what you do know right now is enough. You know him. I get to know him better and better and better because that is God's will for your life. What Paul really wanted to do with the Thessalonians is he wanted to eliminate or greatly minimize threats to the Thessalonians' relationship with the Lord. God's will is for you to be sanctified, for you to grow to know Jesus Christ more and more, to follow him more and more, and that to be the journey of your life right here until Jesus Christ comes and takes you home to know him perfectly. In order to do that, in order for you to fulfill God's will in your life in regard to sanctification, this journey of knowing the Lord more and more, you need to eliminate or greatly reduce any threat to your relationship with the Lord. And the first issue that he brings up, the first threat, is the threat of sexual immorality. It's no surprise that Paul would bring that up first. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 tells us, run away from sexual immorality. Because sexual immorality is not like any other sin. You see, sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Guess what God has done with your body? This body that's been racked with sin has now been bought with the price of Jesus' blood cleansed and purified on the basis of Christ's righteousness and death for you so that now his spirit can come and live with you every single day so you know him, you're never without him, you can follow him, he can unveil his will to you, he can lead you and guide you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not mess up this God-given relationship through the blood of Christ by bringing sexual immorality into your life because you are the temple of the Lord. You see how different that is? This is a huge threat to your relationship with the Lord. Do not do this. Abstain from it. Make every effort. Do everything you can to avoid it because it is an incredible threat to your relationship with the Lord. This is God's will for your life to stay in this journey. And not to let the things that would threaten this journey of knowing the Lord and keep you from walking with him until Christ returns. One of the big issues, sexual immorality. The second issue he brings up is the one we're going to read about today. The issue of brotherly love. Love 
that's a family love. Love that's the love between mother and father and children, between brother and sister and brother and brother and sister and sister. This is the love that's supposed to be family-type love. He says he's going to encourage them in regard to family love. But the family that this love is experienced within is not blood family. It's the family of believers bought with the blood of Christ. He's going to encourage in relationship to that kind of love, that kind of family love between believers. That's no surprise either because 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. See, the one who does not love his fellow believer that he can see cannot love God whom he cannot see. This issue of loving other believers, if you're married here today to a believing spouse, this issue of loving other believers. If you're, if you're here today and you have believing children, this issue of loving other believers. If you look around this church family, as you think about extended family who are believers, you think about people in your workplace who are believers, you think about people in this community who are believers, this love among family believers, fellow believers is in, is in light here. This love is critical for our relationship with the Lord. It's a threat. And it's a threat we should seek to minimize or eliminate so that we can walk with the Lord more and more every single day until Christ returns. All right, let's read it together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. <clears throat> Concerning brotherly love, You have no need for me to write to you about this. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And you are doing this very thing to all the brothers who are in the entire area of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more. Now, Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, hey, we we know that you're taught by God to love each other. How does Paul know that the Thessalonians have been taught by God to love each other? Because he can see that they're doing it. The evidence that God has taught them is in what they are doing, where they are, with the believers that are around them, this family. Now, think about the Thessalonians. They're living in a time and a place where they're experiencing persecution because of their faith in Christ. So it's not unlikely to think that some of them have lost their family, lost their jobs because they've decided to follow Christ. Think about how important the church family is to them. And Paul says, man, what you're doing with other believers right there in your church is phenomenal. We see not that you've learned from us, from somebody else, but you've learned through us, through whatever means the Holy Spirit is chosen to teach you, you've learned from God to love each other, and the way we know you've learned from God is because you're doing it. 
And you're not just doing it where you live, you're doing it to the believers who don't even live where you are. In this whole area of Macedonia, you're loving each other so well as believers that it is clear that only God could have taught you to do that. He says, because of all that, we don't have any need to write you. Now, don't you find it kind of funny that he says, we don't have any need to write you about this, but we're still going to do it? Why? Because no matter how much the Thessalonians, no matter how well the Thessalonians are loving each other, they have not yet arrived. It's a journey of sanctification doing it more and more and more until Christ comes back. This is God's will for your life, that no matter how well you may be doing, whether your well is really good or whether your well right now is really bad, whatever it is, wherever you're at, do it more. This is God's will for your life. You're on a journey. Keep walking forward and love each other better. It's also not a surprise because of Jesus' words in John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus says, people are going to know that you follow me by your love for each other. It's no wonder that Paul would want to bring this up again because they've not arrived and their love for each other was a great way for people to see that they follow Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Paul's going to unfold here. He wants them to stay in this journey, to keep loving each other more and more, and he gets very specific at how that's supposed to look in their daily life. All right, let's read verse 11. So he says, I want you to do this even more. Verse 10 there, verse 11 says, and, and I'm going to read this just very literally here, and be ambitious or have as your ambition to be quiet, to do your own thing, and to work with your own hands, just as we commanded you. So this is something he'd already talked to them about, something related to their context, and it's specifically some specific way they're supposed to live out their life so that they are then loving more and more. This is how we want you to love more and more. We want you to make sure you're living this kind of way so your love increases in this particular way. Now, what in the world is Paul intending the Thessalonians to do? And he says, I want you to be quiet. I want you to do your own stuff. And I want you to work with your hands. Well, they knew because he'd already talked to them about it. And I think it's real comforting to know that Paul told them why he wanted to do what he already talked to them about so we can get a handle on exactly what we're supposed to do if we're to hear what the Lord has to say to us right here. All right, so let's, let's read through verse 12 and let's listen in verse 12 for why Paul is telling them to do what he's telling them to do that they already know what that means. We don't really know exactly what that means, but we do understand the reason why. So listen for it, verse 12. He says, so that, I want you to live that way, so that you walk properly, decently, okay, that word right there, rightly, I'll give some explanation for that in a second, but I want you to kind of camp out on that word that's translated properly, decently, rightly in your translation. I want you to walk rightly, decently, before in the presence of outsiders. That's reason number one. I want you to live this way that I've described in these three terms 
so that people who are outside the church look at your life and conclude there's something right about that. So you're, if you live properly in front of someone, then when someone looks at how you're living, they say, that's right, that's good. It's deserving of recognition. If you were in the workplace and you were given a particular task at work, and you took that task as your responsibility to begin to unfold that and work on that and get a team around you and make it happen. And this amazing outcome for the strength of your company brought incredible profit for the future. It was unbelievable. One of the most changing experiences in the company in recent memory. It has, it has put the company on the map. It is huge for what has happened. It was exactly what you're supposed to do and exactly the way you're supposed to do it. It had major impact in your company. Guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to look at what you're doing and say, man, that was really good. Somebody's going to recognize you. Somebody's going to say, that was right. That was proper. That was decent. That's exactly what needs to happen in that role. And we need to recognize that. What Paul is saying here, I want you to do this kind of living so that people outside the church see how you're living and they say about you something right about that. I want to know more about that. I want to figure out what's happening there to make that happen. Okay, then the second thing is so that outsiders look at you say there's something right about that and you have no need for anyone. In other words, you're not dependent on anyone. So again, we're thinking about it in the context of loving better, living in a certain way so that outsiders look and say, I like what I see, something right about that. And no one feels like you are mooching off of them. Now think about how that relates to a family loving setting in a church body where there are significant needs that exist. Paul's saying, what I want you to make sure you do is live in such a way within the church family that your love increases, so make sure that you can never be accused of taking advantage or abusing the brotherly love that exists in the body. You live so that you have more opportunity to love others than you have opportunity to take from someone else what could be given to someone who needs it more. You be ambitious to love others more than you are ambitious to receive in an abusing way the love that's available because you live in this context. Again, I want you to love this way. I want you to live this kind of life so that those outside the church can look at what's happening in the church and in your life and say there's something right about that. And nobody inside the church is looking at you saying, they're nothing but a mooch. They always take advantage. They're always abusing the love that we're trying to strive towards here. So that's what he's saying. He says, your love can increase if you'll do this. If you'll live a quiet life, if you'll, if you'll mind your own business and you work with your own hands. Now, you see how that relates to this concept of making sure that nobody outside the church looks at you and says, whatever they're doing there, that's wrong. Somebody looks at you and says, man, whatever's going on there, I don't want a part of it. And that everybody within the church is looking at each other's lives and saying, man, this is great to be a part of. Look at what God is doing. Look at how God is providing. Look at how God is blessing. Look at how God is moving. This is awesome. All right, so he wants you to live that kind of way. Now let's, let's think about it. Now we've seen what God has said to the Thessalonians through Paul. Now let's think about what is God saying to us through 
1 Thessalonians. Is loving each other any less important now than it was then? No. What God is saying here is exactly what he said then. You're doing well. And I I love this concept of you're doing well because when I think about our church, I think, man, we are doing pretty good here. A lot of fun things, exciting things, great things happening. But you know what? We've not arrived. We finished this renovation project. We've not arrived. We finished project tiling. We've not arrived. Whatever great thing we think that God has enabled us to experience in this loving community, we have not arrived. We need to do better. We're on a journey here. And we will not arrive until Jesus comes back to get us. And we need to keep moving forward. We need to do it even more. And we need to do it well here, right here within this church family. And you think about it, if, if, if we were to state out two or three or four descriptors of how we ought to live in order to be loving each other more through this fall, what that might they be in our context? I mean, Paul has given us descriptors for the Thessalonians' context. Live a quiet life, live minding your own business, and live working with your own hands so that in their context, everybody outside the church would look at them and say, something right about that. And everybody inside the church would say, I don't feel abused or taken advantage of. This is just a loving community, and we're making a difference for the gospel. But what is it that would be said of us? Two or three things that would be said of you related to your life this fall here at Southside Baptist Church family so that you would be loving more. What would he say to some of you? Are you ready for this? Serve in the nursery. Ah, Lord, I'd really rather live a quiet life. (laughs) No, this is your opportunity to work with your hands. I mean... I mean, seriously, think about this for a second. If you've never volunteered in the nursery, there's a piece of heaven you're just not going to appreciate, okay? You, you need to spend some time in the nursery. Um, if you've never done that before, volunteer one Sunday. What's the worst thing going to happen? You're going to have to wash your hands extra, you know, extra amount after it's over. I mean, I, the worst thing that can happen is, is not that bad. And the best thing that can happen is profound. Because it just might be that that small step in your life is how you can show I'm loving more than I did last fall because God has taught me about love. I mean, the only real evidence we're ever going to have in this place that God is really teaching us to love is when we see it happening. And we've got a lot of opportunities around here for people to love. Is there anybody in this room right now that over the course of the fall wouldn't appreciate some encouragement? Somebody serving them, paying attention to a need they have and actually meeting that without having to be asked just because you know that's what you need to do? I mean, everybody needs love and encouragement in this place. There's some, there's some young men and women in this place this morning right now who are in need of, of an older man or woman who's following Christ just step alongside and say, I want to help you, I want to encourage you. I want want to be there to pray for you. I want to love you this fall so that you might love Christ more than ever and so that someday you might love somebody that's like you when you're like me and old. There's so many needs. And every one of us can ask the Lord this morning, how might you want me to love here 
better this fall. I'm really praying that today would be a point where you begin to make some specific plans to do that. Because I would love to see more and more evidence in this place that God has taught us. Not only did the Thessalonians love well in their context, but they love well outside of their church family. And I just think I want to encourage you again to consider the concept of loving other believers that are not here, but there. Particularly the ones we've been able to build the relationship with who are serving some of the darkest, most remote places of the world. They need us. Their need has not waned since we've returned from Thailand and they've gone back home to their countries. They have not encountered less need for our prayers and support. And I just think one of the evidences that God has taught us when we are doing better about loving, not just right here with us, but even believers that are way out there and can't be here. And if you've not considered that, been praying about that, I just want to encourage you. Ask the Lord to teach you in that area and then demonstrate the evidence of having been taught. Love well here, love well there. And let's make sure that in this context, we're living in such a way that people outside our church, unbelievers, can look at our lives and say about us, man, something's really right about what's happening there. And I want to know more about it. So the next time you're at work, and maybe tomorrow morning, you're at work and some of the guys there, unbelievers, are talking about the weekend. They start cussing and carrying on, talking about inappropriate things. You know, don't at that point pull out your earplugs and start to hum loudly so you don't hear their words. Because they're going to look at you and say, I don't want anything to do with that weirdo. Now, make sure you're really involved in the context of this church family. And then those necessary exposures to ungodliness that happen because you're seeking to engage the world with the gospel will not even affect your life in Christ. They'll not be a threat at all. And instead of somebody saying about you, you know, that guy makes me a little uncomfortable. He's really concerned about, you know, things I say, what I do. It's like he's the morality police. I can't stand him. You know, instead of them saying things like that, you know what they're going to say? You know, every time I'm around that person, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm saying, no matter what I've been through, no matter what I'm talking about, I always feel like they love me. They accept me. I never feel condemned around them. I know they don't believe what I believe. I know that they think 90% of what I'm doing is exactly wrong. But every time I'm around them, no matter how wrong I may be in their eyes, I always feel like they love me. Why is that? How can they act that way when they're not comfortable? Well, because we have a church family that is our refuge and our place where we go from into the world that does not love like Christ. Or, or, maybe, or maybe it's like this for you. you. You've been hurt by somebody in the church family. I mean, if we had a show of hands today, we'd have a pretty good indicator that most of us have been in that situation at one time or another. And guess what? Most of us will be there again shortly. When you live in community like this with a bunch of broken people who are experiencing the grace of God on a daily basis, guess what? You're going to get hurt. Let's say that Monday morning you, you go to work and you've been hurt over the weekend by someone in the church and it's all over you. And somebody comes up to you and says, man, what's wrong? I can tell things aren't going okay. 
What's going on? And it just happens to hit you at the right time and the right moment. You began to unload. Well, you're not going to believe what so-and-so did to me. And this is what they did to me. And they say they're a Christian. And I can't believe they did this. And I'm so mad at this. And I've just got to work through this. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. But I just can't believe this happened. And, and this person who's unbelieving goes home and says to their spouse, you know, all the stuff we thought about church is true. Bunch of hypocrites, losers. And they're just a mess. I'm so glad we don't go to church. Remind me the next time someone invites us because we want to go eat uh, their, their, their food that it's not worth it. I mean, wouldn't it be so much better if you go to work and you tell the story like this? I want to tell you what's happened in my life. I have a friend at church, a believer, and there's something that happened between us and it hurt me so bad. I mean, it just ripped me apart. But God says in his word that I'm supposed to go talk to that person, that I'm supposed to trust, and I'm supposed to forgive, and that God will take care of that. And I did exactly what God said. And I just want to tell you that what happened in that scenario was one of the most beneficial experiences I've ever had in my life. And I want to tell you what's happened in my marriage because of that experience, what's happened with my kids because of that experience. I want to tell you what God's doing in my life because I walked through that and trusted what God said. You know what that person's going to go home and tell their spouse? There's something right about what's going on over there. And I want to know more. You see, we've got a love in a way here that those on the outside look at what's happening and say, I don't know what it is, but there's something right about it. I'd like to know more. That's God's will for our life. To radically practice what God has taught us for the sake of the gospel in the church and outside the church. That is God's will for our life.